Would we say that one of God's attributes is his omnipresence? The answer might surprise you. We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Very serious. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, January the 28th of 2009, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and of course, today being a Wednesday, we're going to be continuing our study and the series called Knowing God, in which we're talking about the attributes of God, or the things that we know about God, which are based both on Scripture, uh, as special revelation, or in nature, as general revelation. So anyway, welcome to you guys. And just a a, a little bit of a, a note here. If this is your first time joining us, we are so glad to have you here today. We consider it a blessing to have you here with us today. But we would ask that for this lesson, for this series, that you would go back and listen to these lessons in order. Uh, some of the things that we've discussed up to this point are uh, maybe some terms that you might not understand. So in order to understand this lesson and really understand everything that we're talking about, it might be necessary for you to go back and listen to every lesson that we've covered. Uh, These all kind of logically flow together. So uh, after this lesson, you know, definitely feel free to stick around and listen to this lesson. But after this lesson, if you have any questions, uh, I would ask that you go back and listen to the lessons leading up to this one. Uh, a lot of the questions that we've received on um, on you know other uh, other lessons that we've done in this series are uh, are based on the fact that people haven't listened to all of the lessons in order. So anyway, God bless you guys. We're so glad to have you here today. Uh, some of you may have realized, or uh, you know, if you've been watching the local news or the the national news, as you guys know, I live in Northwest Arkansas, and yesterday and the day before. We have had the worst ice storm that this area has had in over 50 years. Uh, It has been horrendous. It is awful. It looks like a war zone here. Um, You know, we we started getting uh, ice on the trees very early yesterday morning, and then yesterday afternoon, tree uh, branches and limbs started snapping all over the place. Uh, we are without cable and internet at my house. We have a, a you know a cable that leads to our house on on the outside. Uh, fortunately, not electric power. Electric is underground, so our electric has been it's been on and off. But uh, we we are receiving electric power. But our cable and internet had a cable that went on the outside to our house, and a tree fell on that cable. We have no idea when we're going to get uh, cable and internet service back up. This place is a mess. Uh, we are on somewhere between a a third to a half of an acre in the house that we're renting. Fortunately, we're renting, so if there's any damage, uh, you know, we we won't have to pay for that. But uh, on the the house, in the house that we're renting, we're on a, a pretty large lot of land. And I can tell you, there is barely, barely any room for, uh, for walking in the grass. I mean, there are tree limbs and branches everywhere. Uh, yesterday, you know, we spent a lot of time under the awning outside um, on our patio and uh, listening to all these trees breaking in the distance. And they just sound like shotguns going off all over the place. And, uh, you know, the neighborhood that I'm in, it's it's about 40 years old. And uh, all these trees just all over the place, just huge pieces of, of wood, you know, limbs and trees have fallen all over the place. Uh, and in some places, um, just around the corner from me, it's so bad that you can't even drive down the street. 
So uh, anyway, your prayers uh, will definitely be appreciated for this. Um, you know, we, we have definitely seen God provide safety for us. Uh, yesterday, I, I had to go out and move a branch out of the street that had fallen and it was blocking traffic. And uh, this thing was about 400 pounds. Um, and it took my wife and me rocking it back and forth and moving it about two inches at a time to get this thing to move. But uh, not long after we went out there to do that, uh, a branch fell right where we were standing. And uh, it, it probably would have it would have at least put us in the hospital, let's put it that way. But anyway, we are safe, just so you guys uh, know, but we don't have cable or internet, so whether or not we have a Q&A this Saturday kind of depends on whether or not I can uh, get to my email, get to my, um, you know, to through my internet to look at the emails that have the questions that I'm going to be answering for you guys. But I am going to make every effort to do it, um, whether I can maybe go to Panera Bread or something and use their Wi-Fi to, uh, to do that. But anyway... Thank you guys so much for your prayers in advance. I appreciate it. But anyway, let's go ahead and get started with today's lesson with a quick word of prayer. Father God, it's just so awesome to uh, to learn about you. Because, Lord, there's nothing that compares to you. And nothing else is worthy of our worship. Nothing is more worthy than you. So, Lord, we devote this time to you because only you are worthy of this time. We love you, and uh, we just pray that you would help us to get to know you better today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start off this lesson by just immediately making note of the fact that omnipresence, per se, is not an attribute of God, technically. Instead, it's a quality that flows logically and necessarily from his other attributes. So, you might be asking, why is it not an essential part or an essential aspect of God's nature? Well, we'll talk about that here in, in just a minute or two. We will definitely get to that. But first, Let's start off by establishing a working definition of omnipresence. So what does it mean when we say that God is omnipresent? Well, just like the term omnipotence, the term omnipresence is actually a combination of two words. Omni means all or everywhere, and presence means, you guessed it, presence. So when we say that God is omnipresent, we're not saying that God himself is creation. That's what uh, pantheism believes. That's what the pantheistic uh, Eastern religions teach, that God himself is creation. And uh, as we've discussed in the previous lessons of this study, God is the creator of all things, and it's impossible for the creator of all things to have been created. And this is what we were talking about when we did the lesson on God's aseity. We're also not saying that God is bound within creation as if he were a part of it. That's what panentheism believes. And we've already established in this study that God is non-spatial and non-temporal and that he is immaterial. So the panentheistic view of God is vastly different from the Christian view of God. Instead, what we're saying when we refer to God as being omnipresent is that he is present in all places simultaneously. And to state the, the definition of this term in relation to God negatively, we would say that there is no place where God is not present. God is at every point in space, but he is non-spatial. So to clarify, we should note that there is indeed a sense in which God is within the universe. The Bible tells us that he does hold the universe together, uh, and in order to do that, he has to be in it, right? However, he is only within creation as its cause. He isn't part of the effect. So why do we say that omnipresence is not an attribute of God? Well, it's because prior to creation, nothing except God existed. Nothing was. 
So in order for God to be omnipresent, he must fill something. Uh, but prior to the time-space universe, nothing was. Nothing existed. And so therefore, omnipresence can't be a part of God's essence since he is immutable and unchanging in his essence. And he couldn't fill all spaces when no spaces existed. Does that make sense? You guys can email me if uh, if you have any questions about that. I know that that's a little bit tricky, and uh, that might draw some attention when I say that God's omnipresence isn't an attribute, but hopefully that makes some sense to you guys. But anyway, despite the fact that uh, you know God's omnipresence isn't technically an attribute of God, the Bible does offer just an immense deal of support for the notion that God is present in all places simultaneously. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, King Solomon says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. We also find God's omnipresence implied in Psalm chapter 95, verses 3 through 5, where the psalmist proclaims, quote, The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the sea, the peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 7, the psalmist explicitly refers to God's omnipresence when he redundantly asks, and this is a redundant question, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. And then in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses uh, 23 and 24, God makes his omnipresence just abundantly clear when he asks the prophet Jeremiah, he says, Am I a God who is near and not a God far away? Can man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? So obviously God is is explicitly stating his omnipresence there. Uh, Jesus also made God's omnipresence clear when he was giving instructions on how to pray properly. And he taught, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's from Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. So obviously, you know, taking all this into consideration, and there are plenty of other verses as well. This is just a handful of them. But, you know, the Bible does clearly teach that God is in all places simultaneously. However, again, he is at every point in space, but he is not of every point in space. Scripture does uh, teach us that he holds all of creation together as well. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 17, Paul refers to God's sustaining force in the universe when he says that in him all things hold together. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, John sees the, uh, the 24 elders who fall down before the throne to worship God and they proclaim, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will, they existed and were created. So clearly God is in space, but not of space. The Bible is clear in teaching that God is omnipresent. Now, as we noted at the beginning of this lesson, God's omnipresence is not technically an attribute, but that his other attributes lead to the logical and necessary conclusion that God is omnipresent. So what are these other attributes from which God's omnipresence is derived? Well, first of all, 
God's omnipresence flows logically from the fact that God is simple. Because God has no parts, one can't say that God is in one place but not another. And that's because a God with no parts, or a being with no parts, must be infinite in being. And an infinite being is in all places simultaneously. And so therefore, we would say that God's omnipresence flows logically from his simplicity. And God's simplicity, by the way, uh, that's one of those things that somebody who hasn't listened to the lesson on simplicity wouldn't understand. So anyway, if you've, if you've missed that lesson, make sure you go back and listen to it, because we're not saying that God is simple to understand means something totally different. But anyway, secondly, and similarly, God's omnipresence flows logically from his infinite nature. Uh, what's infinite is without limits. Something that's infinite has no limits. And what is without limits in its being is without limits in its proximity. That is, the place or the places that the being can be. And what is not limited to a proximity is in all places simultaneously. And so therefore, God's omnipresence logically flows directly from God's infinite nature. Third and finally, God's immeasurability, or what uh, old theologians, older theologians would refer to as his immensity, uh, God's immeasurability leads to the necessary conclusion that God is omnipresent. Uh, that which is immeasurable can't be contained by space, which is measurable. Space is measurable. And so therefore, God's omnipresence flows logically from his immeasurability. So, God's omnipresence is, uh, you know, like the other things that we've talked about in this series, it's yet another quality of God which theologians and Christian thinkers alike have held ever since the earliest church. And this has really only come under fire in the last hundred years or so. But, you know, in the second century, a theologian named Theophilus wrote, quote, This is the attribute of God, the highest and almighty and the living God, not only to be everywhere present, but also to see all things and to hear all things. He is by no means to be confined in a place. For if he were, then the place containing him would be greater than he, end quote. So hopefully that makes sense, because what it's saying is basically that if God is not in all places, in all spaces, then space is bigger than he is. But obviously, we do not believe that that is the case. Uh, Clement of Alexandria wrote that, quote, God is not in darkness or in place, but he is above both space and time and qualities of objects. For that reason, neither is he at any time in a particular part, either as containing it or being contained, either by limitation or section, end quote. And then there's Origen, who, uh, despite being the origin of some very false teachings, uh, he was in line with Orthodox Christian thinking when he wrote that, quote, we do not ask the question, how will we go to God, as though we thought God existed in some place. God is of too excellent a nature for any place. He holds all things in his power, and he himself is not confined by anything whatever, end quote. Uh, in the 5th century, Augustine wrote that God is, quote, wholly present everywhere and is confined by no frontiers and bound by no hindrances. And he goes on to write that though his nature has no need of either heaven or earth, he fills them both with his presence and his power, end quote. That was Augustine. And then finally, uh, Thomas Aquinas, who is the greatest theologian of all times, maybe second only to Paul, uh, Thomas Aquinas wrote that, quote, to be everywhere primarily and absolutely belongs to God and is proper to him, because whatever number of places be supposed 
to exist, God must be in all of them, not as a part of him, but as to his very self, end quote. And further, he noted that, quote, God fills every place, not indeed like a body, for a body is said to fill place inasmuch as it excludes the co-presence of another body, whereas by God being in a place, others are not thereby excluded from it. Indeed, by the very fact that he gives being to the things that fill every place, he himself fills every place. Now, of course, as we wind this up, you know, there are a lot of um, objections to God's omnipresence, which are worthy of addressing here. And the first objection that we find is that if God is omnipresent and Jesus is God, then God can't be omnipresent. He can't be in all places simultaneously because Jesus was not in all places simultaneously. So how do we respond to that? Well, in response, I would say, you know, this is unquestionably a a logical conclusion, but it fails to take something into consideration. Namely, it doesn't consider the fact that Jesus had two natures. He had both a human nature and a divine nature. And so therefore, while Jesus as a man was only present in one place at a time, Jesus as God remained omnipresent. Uh, Jesus as God is infinite and eternal, whereas Jesus as a man is finite and created. So anyway, that's that's how we would answer that objection. A second objection is based on Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where Jesus says, Where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Well, you know, if we interpret this consistently and, and literally, we must conclude that God is not everywhere simultaneously. And in response, first of all, Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't be there when only one person or when nobody was present uh, doing something in his name. And he also didn't say that he wouldn't be there if more than two or three are gathered in his name. So therefore, this is really an illogical and thus invalid conclusion. Uh, For example, you know, if I were to say to my son, hey, Caleb, if you need me, I'll be there. I'm not saying that I won't be there if he doesn't need me. So, uh, you know, this would be an invalid inference. The same logic applies to what Christ said in this context. A second response that we might offer uh, would be to distinguish between the different kinds of ways that Christ can be with us. You know, in a general sense, he is the sustainer of all of creation and holds all things together. So in that sense, he is always present. But Christ can also be present to answer a prayer or to, to bless a person. And so because there are different senses in which Jesus can be present, there's no contradiction in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Now, a third and final objection, which uh, which I might note is actually rarely addressed, and uh, this really brings about something that is kind of a misunderstanding in the church today. But this third objection is this. If God is in all places simultaneously, is he also going to be in hell? If hell is a place of eternal separation from God, which is what a lot of churches define hell as, then God cannot be omnipresent. Now, in response, let the controversy begin. God is in all places simultaneously, including hell. However, hear me out. While hell is not a place of eternal separation from God, it is a place of eternal torment in which God's love and mercy are absent. And that's not because it logically can't be there, but it's because once we're judged, we're sealed in our nature. Those who don't have a new nature in Christ will thus forever be subject to God's wrath, while those who do have a new nature in Christ will forever be subject to God's love and mercy. They'll be sealed in their nature. They'll be cut off from their Adamic 
nature. And that's why there will be no sin in heaven. Those who have turned their glasses up in order to receive the waters of God's grace, if you'll remember our uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 2 video illustration of uh, of God's grace and his unchanging nature, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, those who have turned their glasses up in order to receive the waters of God's grace through Jesus Christ will continue to have their glasses filled Uh, overflowing, while those who have never turned their glasses upward in this life to receive the waters of God's grace through faith in Jesus will have lost the opportunity to do so. So anyway, hopefully that addresses that objection. And of course, if you guys have questions about that, you can email me. I realize that there's some controversial stuff here, but uh, you know, don't be shy. I am available to you guys if you have any questions. So in closing, you know, now that we've explored the, the false god of Mormonism throughout this study, I mean, every lesson we're talking about how the, the false god of Mormonism differs uh, because of each and every one of these attributes that we're, uh, that we're discussing. But, you know, um, now that we've explored the false god of Mormonism, we know that their false god is not omnipresent. Why not? Well, those of you who have been following along in this study know that uh, because their false god has a body, their false god is neither infinite nor simple nor immeasurable, so therefore it's impossible for the false god of Mormonism to be said to be omnipresent. So there's no question about it. The false god of Mormonism is not the god of Christianity. I hope that you guys can see that. But, you know, Philip Yancey once wrote a book called Where is God When It Hurts? Uh, and that's a great book, by the way. I suggest that every one of you guys pick that book up. I mean, you can get it for like five bucks. This is a great book. It's called Where is God When It Hurts? And you know, this is really a common question. I mean, anyone who believes in God and who has gone through a traumatic or a painful experience in life has probably asked this very question. Where is God when it hurts? Well, the answer is this. He's right there with you. All you need to do is turn to him and seek him. You know, what a great comfort to know that God is present in all places simultaneously. And this is one of the awesome things about the God of Christianity that makes our God so great. So anyway, God bless you guys. I hope you guys uh, can make some sense of this. And I hope this, this is all something that seems logical to you guys. But if you have any questions, please do feel free to email me. My email address is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. I might not have uh, access to my email for uh, a week or so here, but uh, I will have access to email again someday. Uh, or if you're on my, uh, my Facebook, I can access Facebook through Internet on my phone. Uh, although that makes responding a lot more difficult. So anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Thank you.